This podcast is powered by the leading at the top of your game development experience. If you would like to work with Karen and the shockingly different leadership team to up-level the leadership execution acumen within your organization, visit developingyourgame.com to find out more. Actually, that's a big pain point of luxury brands because nowadays around 55% of luxury products are traded on the secondary market and brands miss out on a lot of profits. And actually, it's not their interest that people buy it from a secondary market. Welcome to the Lead at the Top of Your Game podcast, where we equipped you to more effectively lead your seat at any employer, business, or industry in which you choose to play. Each week, we help you sharpen your leadership acumen by cracking open the playbooks of dynamic leaders who are doing big things in their professional endeavors. And now your host, leadership tactics and organizational development expert, Karen Farrell-Rhodes. Hey there, superstars. Welcome to the Lead at the Top of Your Game podcast. And thanks for joining another episode designed to help you better lead at the top of your game. You know, one of the cities that I always love to visit is New York. And although I can't say that I love to shop, it seems like the people that I'm usually traveling with seem to absolutely love it. And I typically go along just for the companionship and fun. Now, the running joke is checking out if the luxury items that they're trying to buy are the real deal or knockoffs. You know, the ones sold in the street are obvious knockoffs, right? But I must admit, there are some elite shops in New York where the merchandise is dead ringers for the real thing. However, from my perspective, even great knockoffs feel cheap. And I'd rather pay for the real thing if that is what I truly happen to want. But that's just me. And to each his own. On today's show, we feature a leader whose company ensures that you get what you pay for. Gabriel Tice is the Chief Operating Officer at Cobalt, which is a French startup that has created a technology ecosystem to allow customers of high-end brands to prove the authenticity and ownership of their products. Their technology protects the interests of brands and creators, as well as the buyers and patrons of the products and services. As leaders in authentication technology, The expansion of use cases in this area is targeted to touch almost every industry in existence in the future. Your mind is definitely going to be opened by the thought leadership that Gabriel and his team at Coldwater bring into the market. And in addition, I truly love how authentic Gabriel is about the challenges of being in the C-suite in a very complex organization. Now be sure to stay tuned for just two minutes after the episode to listen to my closing segment called Karen's Take, where I share a tip on how to use insights from today's episode to further sharpen your leadership acumen. And now, enjoy the show. Hello, superstars. This is Karen, and welcome to another episode of the Lead at the Top of Your Game podcast. We are so pleased that you joined us again, and we have a fantastic uh, guest on our show today who is going to kind of tell his experience on being a a very young leader in a high growth company and industry. And he has a a ton of tips to share with us. So we're so pleased to have on today's show, uh, Gabriel Tice. I was about to say Thies, but it's not. It's Tice. 
who is the chief operating officer at Cobalt. And Cobalt is a French startup that created an ecosystem to allow customers of high-end brands to prove the authenticity and ownership of those products, which you and I know are very important to us. So welcome to the podcast, Gabriel. Thank you for having me. Yes. And thanks for tuning in, guys. My name, to give you some background about myself, my name is Gabriel. I'm originally from Germany. I grew up in a small but beautiful village in the city, between the city Frankfurt and Cologne. And I was raised with five siblings, which is quite unusual for a German family. (laughs) And I was raised around entrepreneurs. So to give you some background where I really come from and how I ended up here. So I was always like a very curious child. I always tried out different things. And when it came to my career during high school, I didn't really know which direction I'm going to go because I was interested in so many things. I like maths, physics, but also business because my uncle, my grandfather, also my aunt, they all have their own business. And I was like always curious about how they do these things. And then I came to the conclusion, hey, industrial engineering is the right thing for me to study, to com- combine engineering and business. And, and after that, I was like, okay, hey, what am I going to do? I don't want to be like a full-time engineer and sit in front of my screen and drafting some engines or whatever. I'm a people person and I like to communicate with people. So I was like, hey, consulting must be the right thing. So I somehow ended up in consulting and technology consulting, again, combining technology with the business side. And I started my career at HSO as a, as a functional consulting, doing some Microsoft integrations and so on. And then I was like, hey, there is something better out there. In 2017, I digged into cryptocurrencies and I was like literally not sleeping overnight. I was digging so much into it and as i had an elbow surgery i was at home all the time i, I was on sick leave unfortunately also fortunately now, now are they saying <laughs> i was digging so badly into it that i got aware of all the technology blockchain technology and i was fortunate enough to invest early on and then take a break and just go on some kind of like vacational leave to say it this way and travel around and nice. then i was like hey i really want to dig into more on these innovative technologies And I ended up at Ernst Young in the Blockchain Competence Center in EY, which is somehow already like a startup environment, a super amazing environment where we work on the forefront of technology. And at some point, I got aware of this NFT project or like Cobalt, where I'm today. And I started engaging in their community. I was super active. At some point, I just gave them free advice because I really loved what they're doing. I mean, I still do. Mm -hmm. And I was super passionate about this. And through the community, I built up the relationship with the founding team. And nowadays, I'm CEO at the startup with around 15 people. Nice. Well, congratulations on the fantastic success you've had thus far. You're still so young. I can't wait to see what you're going to continue to do. But for our our listeners, can you tell a little bit more about what Cobalt actually does and how do you prove the authenticity of, you know, products and ownership? Yes. So to expand on this, we not only have a, a tool or like a software to prove the authenticity and ownership of products, we we build, a, let's put it this way, an immersive 3D, virtual 3D immersive Shopify, basically a marketplace where people can go and experience shopping in a whole new way. 
with VR mixed reality accessed from their phone, but also from the laptop. So Cobalt is not only about proving the authenticity of products or the ownership of products. Actually, at Cobalt, we're building a whole 3D immersive virtual shopping experience, basically like a Shopify that you can walk into with your avatar, dress yourself up with digital clothing, try them on, see how the outfits look like. And we're building this to onboard luxury brands. And we basically bridge the gap between the digital and the physical world, giving physical items basically a digital identity and therefore opportunities to authenticate and prove ownership of, of products. So let's imagine you have like a Louis Vuitton bag. We can now use our sealing technology, our NFC technology, put an NFC chip in there, and this NFC chip will have a digital identity, like a certificate where you can prove with, for example, your phone, you take your bag and you scan it, and then you can prove, okay, this is an authentic product. And we use Web3 technology, blockchain technology, and NFTs for this, which opens up many, many features for brands to enhance the whole customer journey and, and make it very engaging. So that's in a nutshell what we're doing at Cobalt. Gosh, that's fascinating. And I come from the tech where I worked at Microsoft for almost 14 years. It is different <laughs> technology and focus, but I know it enough to be dangerous, but that is absolutely fascinating. And does that require any chips or hardware or anything from these luxury brands so that consumers can authenticate it? How will it read if it's real or fake? I guess that's my question. Yes. So basically, we're building, like, let's say, white label solutions for this. We have three apps for the NFC technology. One app is a an app for the manufacturer who puts the chip into the shoe, for example, and then links it directly to an NFT. Nice. And it's a, the NFC chip is designed in a way that you can't override it. And then there is an app for the brand, like a backend, where they can have all the data access, see which NFC chip is linked to which identity, to which product, with all the product information on it, where was it produced, when was it produced, which materials were used, Many, many, many data that can be put up on there. And also, there's going to be an end consumer app, which you can download on the App Store or Google Play Store, and then take the phone and scan the NFC chip. And we basically provide all these three apps. And with the, with the third app, with the end user app, he can then scan the NFC chip, and it will be verified through like the cloud or the internet connection if it's a real authentic product, because you can't override these chips and you can you also can't copy these chips. And that's how all this works. And so basically, we're building this for the brands and they can just use it and we can expand on many features within the supply chain features. For example, let's say you, have, you buy like a luxury watch from, from the secondary market. You can then see who were all the owners before me. Let's say you buy a watch 20 years ago. I mean, let's speak about we're in 2030. And we have the tech enabled now. You can then see, okay, it was owned by Denzel Washington. Then it was owned by uh, Conor McGregor. I don't know. By some <laughs> people, you can see who, who was it owned by. And it's exciting for the end customer to also see this, right? Who it are the is. Product. And having a real certific a certificate of it, it's super interesting. I wonder, 
Do you all run into any privacy concerns? You know, there's so much going on in Europe and the U.S. around privacy. How do you manage those kind of uh, edicts and laws? So, yeah, for, for, for this, for example, for like the history or version logging, you can for sure as a consumer decide on your own whether you want to let anyone else know that you own this product before or not, right? And of course, from a legal side, we have our legal team or lawyers. We hire externally to double check everything with us. <laughs> I bet. Uh, to, to not face any problems as our company is based in Paris in Europe, which yeah. is known to be super strict on laws, right? Yeah. So, wow, that's amazing. I don't know if you have used this application, but I can imagine how valuable it would be for like in the art world, especially for rare and expensive art. If there's a way to use your technology to authenticate, you know, those pieces, um, especially those extremely valuable pieces. Um, so I, do you use it for more of physical, tangible products and clothing in the um, apparel area? Or are there other industries that you use your technology for as well? Yes, so there's actually, good that you mentioned it, there's actually many um, possibilities with this technology. And coming back to the example of art, which is super interesting, but we still develop like researching and developing on this. You can also, depending on the NFC chip and how you build everything, you can manage it in a way when a person sells a product on a secondary market and it has the NFC chip in, which is linked to like an NFT as like its digital identity. You can sell it with the app. The other person can prove the authenticity and the ownership of it. And you can then, when you do the transaction through the app, the brand or the artist, whoever gave out the picture or the, the secondary the, the item, he can then receive a royalty fee on the secondary market trade. So nowadays we have the NFTs where you can have royalty fees, right? Right. But when users want to use the NFC technology within these products, in, in the picture, for example, or in a luxury bag or watch, when they sell it, there can be a process where the brand or the artist directly gets a share from the secondary market sale. Actually, that's a big pain point of luxury brands because nowadays around 55% of luxury products are traded on the secondary market. And brands miss out on a lot of profits. And actually, it's not their interest that people buy it from the secondary market. No, because they're not getting any money in their pockets or revenue, I guess you say, in their pockets. And and for artists... It's also very sad because they make a super nice painting and then after like 10 years, they become super famous yeah. and then they almost don't benefit from all the work back then. And it would be amazing if there are some features like this also for the artists. I can so, definitely see the potential of this. I mean, in so many different industries and uses, that is amazing. Yes. Wow. And also in the medicine or biotech sector, it's very interesting for some medicine products to really authenticate if it's a real product. It's a big thing. And these NFC chips are super cheap, depending on which ones you use. They can be as cheap as like three to five cents each. And to have this authentication is worth a lot, way, way more. So the, the potential is super big. And that's why we also, with our C-Link technology, with the NFC technology, we go in many directions, not only into the fashion direction, but also biotech, the whole retail aspects. So there's many possibilities for sure, yes. Wow, amazing. I'm just fascinated. I'm just, my mind is spinning. So who is your target 
who is Cobalt's target audience? Like, who do you all try to network with and, and talk to to introduce your offerings to their industry? So our target market, obviously, is like the brands in, in B2B mm. to onboard all the luxury fashion brands who can then launch exclusive items, get over people of their brand and use it as a marketing tool, but also at some point as a new way of e-commerce or add it to their omni-channel strategies. And, but our goal is obviously also to attract the, the customers, the end customers who then buy the items, spend time in there. And those customers are generation Z, generation A, but also people who are very into like cryptocurrencies, who are very aware of what's happening, who are super interested in like exclusive collections where you get an NFT, where you can prove, hey, I have this NFT because nowadays everything is also about not only your social status in real life, but also your status on digital. So it nowadays it's about digital identity. With our ecosystem, you can basically build your own digital identity. You can buy luxury products, dress up your avatar. You can share it around in social media and you can flex around with it. You can show people, hey, I own these items, not only as NFT, also as a physical item hey here is my certificate and so it's it's about like young generations who are very digital native and and but also some older generations who are very much into the world of web3 i would say i love that love them well i'm going to switch to you now and your role as chief operating officer gabriel i can only imagine even even if you know, you all are kind of a smaller to mid-sized company. You have a ton of people looking to you for guidance on, you know, how to continue to accelerate you all's success and growth. So tell me a little bit about kind of your leadership style and, you know, what are some of the, the guidance and the challenges that you're having to navigate to help your teams navigate right now at Cobalt? Great questions. So I think... I was highly influenced by my grandfather who built a company that my uncle owns nowadays with over 400 employees. And I think it's a great success story. And what he always mentioned to me is to be honest. And I think it comes down to be honest with yourself in the first hand and being honest with the people around you in like a positive uh, way while being empathic. And I think integrity, which withholds like the honesty and all that kind of stuff, is one of the most important things. So whenever we have some uh, heated air, to put it this way, in the company, between employees or between me and the CEO, which just recently happened, actually, uh, <laughs> it, it really helps to speak honestly about these things. And it really strengthens our relationship to not withhold this negative energy and hold it inside of you and let it grow and, and have like a toxic environment. I think honestly speaking in a constructive way about what's not going good and sometimes letting out your emotions can really help. Yeah. And I think that's that's super important. And I think that should be really empowered to really give people the feeling that they can be honest. They should share what they worry about and what they don't like, because otherwise there is no room for improvement. How can you improve something where you don't really know what the problem is, right? Right. And I see it so many times in my corporate career, but also uh, in other startups, that people don't speak up about what's the problem. And I always encourage my colleagues to speak up about the problems and directly clean the air so we can start fresh the next day. And I think that's one of the most important things. 
And so it's honesty, communication, and then also to be visionary, to set a vision in the whole team to say, hey, this is, this is what we want to achieve together. And to not only give them a vision for where the company should be in the next few years, but also where I see them personally in their personal career to give, to motivate them. And I think if you can establish this kind of culture where you give people the feeling that they can openly speak about things, where you motivate them and really help them uh, to grow as a person as well and, and set like a real big vision for the, for the whole startup, it's something amazing. <laughs> it truly is. I wish we could bottle that ability and just put it in every company out there because to your point, if you're able to to, you know, get everyone in the company because everyone can be a leader in their individual roles, right? Leaders at all levels. But if they can if you run an environment with integrity and honesty and where people feel comfortable in speaking up, that means that everybody's feeling that they're contributing to the greatness of what, you know, the teams are doing, right? And and I I always tell folks, I have never met someone who woke up and said they just didn't want to be their best that day. Things happen during the day that might sour their mood, but usually as humans, we want to show up as our best selves. And if you create an environment to do so, People will eagerly bite onto that. And it sounds like that's what you and your team try to do at Cobalt. Yes, definitely. Wonderful. And for you personally, I didn't know you, you started leading others at a very young age. And as I mentioned to the audience members, you're still very young. What do you think is key to help encourage young leaders like yourself to stay with the passion to be very successfully and how can we what is the big miss that we're doing that we're not creating more and more stronger leaders in the workforce right now in your opinion oh that's a really good question so what i see a lot is that nowadays people become increasingly egoistic in some which which can create big barriers really big barriers and that's also something i encourage to drop uh your egoism level, to put it this way, to be um, less selfish, more selfless. What really helped me to get also in the position I am in is to start networking from early on, to get to know people, to get to know how to deal with the people, um, to quickly understand the needs, to quickly understand what motivates them, what drives them, and to always be open to, to things so sometimes I'm jumping on, on calls, for example, and I'm like, why do I go on this call? And then 20 minutes later, oh, it was so much worth it spending these 20 minutes. He just laid me this and that contact. And I, I had like my mind set up already. This is going to be a waste of time to stay open about things and look for opportunities. And I think that's and to go the extra mile also. Because sometimes I have calls late at night and I'm like, why am I doing this? But then, <laughs> but then after the call, you're like, wow, actually it was amazing to have this call. And it gives you so much energy. And to also go with the flow and not to listen too much about like what the environment around you tells you. You rather focus on what you feel is, is right for you. Right. And to not listen to these naysayers to say it this way. That's right. Wow, that's amazing. 
So, Gabriel, you know, one of the things we love to ask um, our guests on the podcast is which of the leadership tactics or behaviors that I wrote about in my book really jumped out or resonated with them. And, you know, and my listeners know in full transparency, it came out of our research and all seven are equally as important and you use them at different times while you're, you know, leading in your role. But uh, it was fascinating that um, you shared that one of the ones that really jumped out with you was when leaders lead with what we call intrapreneurship. And for our listeners who may be new to the show, leading with intrapreneurship is all about being focused on improving products, services, and processes in whatever organization or team that you're working on and uh, within those confounds. So I'm just curious, Gabriel. Uh, why did uh, leading with entrepreneurship uh, really resonate with you? Uh, wonderful question. So I think it's not only about just leading with entrepreneurship, but also establishing this kind of like mindset and this attitude within my colleagues that that are also work in a way as entrepreneurs. In the, to put it this way, if that's a if that's a saying, and and to really have the feeling that their contribution is to something bigger and they highly profit from this itself. So to give them a feeling that they're not just working for the company, they're working for themselves and they're part of something bigger. And I think that's something really cool in startups because you are really actually part of the whole movement. And in corporate, sometimes you're just a number. As you can imagine, if you're in a corporate, you're like one out of like 2,000 or sometimes one out of 100,000. And in a, in a startup, you, you have this opportunity to really be an entrepreneur yourself. But I will say, even for our listeners out there that are in a corporate space, don't think that you can't lead with entrepreneurship and because... Even within your department or small team, even if it's a, like you said, a hundred thousand person organization, most good team leaders will provide space for new ideas or have discussions with the team about ways that they can contribute or the team should think about improving what they're doing. You know, maybe it's a, a new process. Maybe it's a new technology to bring in you know, the options are limitless. But just to your point, having the mindset of always being better, but helping both the company you're in or the organization or team you're on to be better, while also you benefiting as well is a great win-win, I would say for most, most people, you know. (laughs) So what I'm always fascinated about, Gabriel, is Because you know, as much as I do, it takes a lot to really probably impress you. (laughs) And so I love asking um, our guests, you know, is there a person or brand or entity that earned the right to really impress you? You know, someone that you, something or something that is truly a leader in their space. And you were so kind enough to share a company. I don't know if you remember, but. Can you share that company and why they really earned the right to have you as a raving fan? So, yes, one company, and I think they're also the leader within the sector I'm working in, is Nike. They're literally leading on top of the game 
it's actually insane that such a brand keeps reinventing themselves and keeps their customer base growing and growing. Yeah. Nike has done so much in the space of Web3, of NFTs, and they've really been proven that corporates can have success in this space. In the beginning, it was a lot of startups, and they're actually one of the first corporates and still the best corporate, in, in I would say, in Web3 to keep going the hype around NFTs, to keep building utility for the products, for the people, and engaging with this community to fully understand who the customer base is, what they want, what their needs are, and they do it in such a perfect way. Actually, I'm amazed by what what Nike is doing and all all the, col the collaborations they're doing around, like with Tiffany and Co. They did a collaboration with their Air Force, uh, so they're doing so many things. They're going into so many direction. It amazes me to be honest, like seeing what's happening in this space. Yeah. There's also some brands who who are established brands, but who don't really understand what Web3, NFTs, and digital fashion is about. But Nike really nailed it. It's it's still amazing what they're doing. And they, they just keep reinventing. Like they keep going. Just Thank recently you. they announced a cooperation with EA Gaming. Yeah. EA Games, I believe. <laughs> it's, they're going in all the direction what people have been saying. Like, hey, gaming can be the next thing within Web3. And they're going this direction. So they're, they're still staying at the forefront. They and are. It's, it's amazing to see what they're doing. You're so right, Gabriel. I know um, a few friends who work at the corporate office of Nike and, you know, no company's like perfect, perfect. But what I appreciate about them is they do keep their ear to the ground on trends, technology, all spaces that are like really hot. They're, they're part of the ecosystem that tries to be at the forefront and then also collaborate with others that are also in the forefront as well. And you sometimes don't get that from a quote unquote retail company, right? Or apparel company. What they're doing over there is tremendously amazing. So, Absolutely. you know, I give you a virtual high five on that one. <laughs> uh, all right, Gabriel, but before uh, we close out, I'd love for you to also share just for you personally, what does it take for you to lead at the top of your game? You know, how do you keep yourself going focused and centered and having that right mindset. And I know it's personal to everybody, but for as much as you feel comfortable, we'd love to hear what it takes for you to stay on top of your game. Really good question. And I think it's something that I just faced recently because I mean I've been with the startup for three months now and the first two months were like we were like all in the in the executive team like close <laughs> to like a burnout to say it this way. I bet. <laughs> we, we were working so much and I and just before this podcast, I did sports because it's so much needed. Yeah. And what I really can recommend, which I completely lacked the past months, is having a healthy work-life balance. Mm -hmm. To do sports, to do medi mediating, whatsoever, what helps you to get distance from work at some point. Because literally sometimes I sit from like 8 to 12 uh, midnight on the laptop and you have no balance and it's so unhealthy. It is. Um, I think besides that, to surround yourself with um, people, to distract yourself from work a little bit, to talk about other things, what's happening around, and to share your journey with people also, yes. to get them excited about what you're doing and maybe also grow your network around you to have supporters around you. And I think learning to say no, to, to say no th to s things that might be nice, but are not beneficial to your current situation. So like overwhelming you with too much work or 
overwhelming you with with too many networking events or like whatever you want to call them and i think also to delegate to let things go and give people to trust people on their things and not to like over control them and just let go and also one thing that i i found out recently is to besides like all the ongoing daily operations to take a step back sometimes and really reflect what has been going good right now what is not good where am i stuck with my overthinking maybe and to get your head free to also like get open about new ideas again because sometimes you so much locked down in your work yeah that you completely ignore all the things around you which actually might help you to grow to accelerate faster with what you're doing right now so there's a lot of things and to maybe highlight one thing i think it's to have a really healthy work-life balance do sports meet great people surround yourself with great people who are entrepreneurs depending on what, who, whom do you want to become i think the quote to say uh, show me who your friends are and i'll tell you who you are yes. i think it's it's so much fitting and i've always surrounded myself with like entrepreneurs with super smart people people who are so much smarter than me and you can learn always something from anyone that's right and there's always something that you can improve and stay open that's wonderful well those words are priceless gabriel and for the listeners she may not be aware gabriel's calling me in from dubai right dubai so to help him with his work-life balance because it's what's 7 30 p.m i think his time we're gonna let him go because he has given truly given his gift of time but thank you so much gabriel for joining this episode we appreciate it thank you for listening bye-bye bye-bye well i hope you enjoyed our conversation today with gabriel tice chief operating officer at cobalt links to his bio his entry into our leadership playbook and additional resources can be found in the show notes both on your favorite podcast platform and at leadyourgamepodcast.com And now for Karen's take on today's topic of the authentication of leaders. As you know, our podcast exists for the sole purpose of advocating for and championing the capabilities of leaders all across the globe. However, today's episode brought up a question in my mind, which is how do you really know if a leader is the real deal or if they're a fraud? You know, for physical items, like when we go shopping in New York, it's easier to spot frauds. But when evaluating people themselves, it's much, much harder. And while there are no clear-cut ways of doing this, because if I had the answer to that, I honestly would be a trillionaire, um, I thought I'd share just a few clues that should raise some red flags if you come across a leader who appears to be questionable at best. So first of all, look out for what I call talkers without clout. They talk far more than they deliver. They talk a good game and are never at a loss for words, but their leadership and track record just don't seem to match up to their words. Look out for deceivers. Deceivers are, you know, fraudulent leaders, and they often have gaps between what they say and what they actually do. Be on the lookout for blamers. Fake leaders are notorious for shifting the blame to others when something fails. 
You know, they duck and dodge so that no blame sticks to them and declares nothing is ever their fault. Look out for exaggerators. Questionable leaders are infamous for overinflating their accomplishments. Look out for hiders. They often keep others who are smarter or better than them at a distance. They hide behind being mediocre or average because it is hard to hide your fraud when sharp people are around. And then lastly, look out for deflectors. They deflect your attention away from what they do not want you to see. And they skillfully use their words and actions to mesmerize those around them while hiding the truth about their incompetence. So I hope these tips help you better use your leadership spidey senses. But once again, thanks again for joining this episode. Um, Please remember to subscribe to the podcast and share the podcast with just one friend because by performing this one selfless act will empower you to also help others to lead at the top of their game. Thanks for listening and see you next week. And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening to the Lead at the Top of Your Game podcast, where we help you lead your seat at any employer, business, or industry in which you choose to play. You can check out the show notes, additional episodes, bonus resources, and also submit guest recommendations on our website at leadyourgamepodcast.com. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn by searching for the name Karen Rhodes, with Karen being spelled K-A-R-A-N. And if you like the show, the greatest gift you can give would be to subscribe and leave a rating on your podcast platform of choice. This podcast has been a production of Shockingly Different Leadership, a global consultancy which helps organizations execute their people, talent development, and organizational effectiveness initiatives on an on-demand project or contract basis. Huge thanks to our production and editing team for a job well done. Goodbye for now. 